0: I thought that was really cool. Well, my name is Josh. I'm the the preaching minister here at ACC, and I want to welcome everyone here again. Thank you so much for joining us this Christmas. Um, I would love it if you would go to God with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are just enamored by the the spirit of, of joy that you sent into the world. We're just so infatuated with the fact that you, you love us and you care for us and you give us this church and you give us your word and you give us the voices we have to sing. And most of all, Father, you gave us your son. And so, Father, as we, as we study your word today, as we, as we dive into your scriptures and, and really reflect on what it means that your son took on flesh and, and dwelt among us, we ask that you would soften our hearts, We ask that you would help us to apply your word to our lives. Father, I ask that you would be with me. I ask that you would help to make my words clear and concise, that I would handle your word faithfully. And it's in your son's precious name that we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So, we're at war. We're in a war that began when the world began, a war. That, that started between a battle between a woman and a serpent. See, God had, God had created this amazing, perfect world out of the midst of the, the chaos and the abyss and the darkness. God brought good things out of that world. And he, he created a man named Adam, which in Hebrew means humanity. And, and he, he made a woman named Heva, Or as we might say in English, Eve, which is the Hebrew word for life. And God told life and humanity to go forth and continue his creative work in the world. Tend to the garden, cultivate it, grow things, multiply, bring light and goodness into it. Because he made us in his image and wanted us to continue his work. But the serpent... The serpent was an agent of chaos and death and disorder, the exact opposite of the goodness and order that God brought into the world. And the serpent deceived life and humanity, caused them to sin. And that was the moment that the war began. But I want to make it clear that the war that the serpent waged was not a war against God. See, God created the serpent. God had power over the serpent and has power over the serpent. The serpent is no match for God. So who exactly is it that the serpent is waging war against? Well, after life and humanity were expelled from God's perfect garden and the impact of sin and destruction had entered into the world, God said to one of the descendants, of life and humanity one of the sons he says is it not true that if what you do is that if you do what is right you will be fine but if you do not do what is right sin i want you to picture the serpent here sin is crouching at the door it desires to dominate you but you must subdue it so the war that the serpent was waging was not one where he was waging war against god he was waging war against life And humanity and their descendants. And all throughout the history of the Bible, the serpent pops up in different ways and at different times. Almost as a reminder just to who's pulling the strings between all of the death and destruction that exists in the world. At one point, Moses encounters God and God displays his power and authority over the serpent. He says, take that staff and I'll turn it into a snake and now pick it up by the tail. It's harmless. God's showing, I have power over the serpent. The magicians of Pharaoh were in line with the serpent. They had that ability to change their staffs into snakes as well. But God displayed that his might and authority was no match for the serpent. God rescued them from Pharaoh. He sent them in, delivered them as they wandered through the wilderness. And it wasn't long before the sin that the serpent had brought into the world crept back into their hearts and led them astray again. At one point in the book of Numbers, God actually turned them over to actual serpents because of their rebellion against him. In other places in the Bible, the serpent shows up in more subtle ways. When you think about David fighting the giant, the giant Goliath, is he's described as having armor made of bronze scales. And interestingly enough, the Hebrew word for bronze is nachosh. And the Hebrew word for serpent is nachash. So it's this subtle little reminder that the evil in the world, the nachash, is behind it. The bronze scales, the serpent scales that the giant was wearing. And as we know what happened to that giant, it's another reminder That the deceiver from the garden is still lurking around, but God still has power over it. There's other places in scripture where the the serpent shows it up as a stand-in for human kings and rulers. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 8, God says through the prophet, He says, the Lord says, yes, indeed, I am... There we go. Sorry, guys. Yes, indeed, I am sending an enemy against you that will be like poisonous snakes that cannot be charmed away, and they will inflict fatal wounds on you. He's describing the king of Babylon as this serpent-like character. God turned the people over to the serpent Babylon, but when the proper time had came, God destroyed Babylon, yet again displaying his power over the serpent. And yet the story of this book is a story of a people who time and time and time again were called upon to wage war against the serpent. And time and time again, not only did we fail to wage war against the serpent, but we, we joined forces with him. We aligned ourselves with him again and again and again. No matter what we did, no matter how hard we tried, we failed to slay the serpent And yet all the while, throughout this book, God leaves hints that one day life and humanity and all of their descendants would once and for all be free from this serpent, this agent of chaos and death. death. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3. God is speaking to the serpent and he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In Isaiah 11, verse 8, it says a baby will play over the whole of a snake over the nest of a serpent an infant will put his hand God is posturing that he is so powerful over the serpent that one day he will be so harmless that an infant would be able to reach in and pick him up by the tail like he was a little stuffed animal that's how much the serpent is going to be stripped of his power and authority and then later on in Isaiah in chapter 27 God says at that time The Lord will punish with his destructive, great, and powerful sword, Leviathan, the fast-moving serpent. Leviathan, the squirming serpent. He will kill the sea monster. I, I forgot to mention, this serpent that you've been picturing, tiny little garter snake rolling through the grass, that's not the way the Bible describes him this harmless little creature that you could step on or put a shovel on and and once and for all get rid of. No, the, the Bible describes this serpent less like a little garden snake and more like a dragon, a sea monster, the leviathan, the kind of things legends are written about. This is the expectation that the Old Testament sets up for us, that this dragon is lurking, this leviathan, this sea dragon is lurking, but one day it'll be destroyed once and for all. And as we, as we close the pages of our Old Testament, we enter into the new, we're left just begging for a resolution. Sure, the people of Israel are, are sent back home and they're allowed to rebuild their temple and they're back in their holy land and they're doing their sacrifices, but the dragon's still out there. As you end Malachi and you enter Matthew, you're thinking to yourself, "Yeah, but what about the dragon? what's going to happen with him we open into our new testament we read in the in the book of luke luke chapter 2 there's a story of a baby being born there's some shepherds out in the field on a quiet night and i want to i want us to pick up in luke chapter 2 verse 8 It says, now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And you know the story. The rest of the angels show up. They praise God and the shepherds go and they, they find the child and they worship him and they tell everybody about the good news of the Messiah. But I want, I want somebody to do me a favor in... In verse 13, if you've got your Bibles with me, I want somebody to read verse 13 and tell me, when the angels show up, how does the Bible specifically describe who it is that shows up to praise God? Word for word, what's, what's the Bible say that shows up? A heavenly host. The multitude of the heavenly hosts. Does anybody know what a host is? It's one of those church words, isn't it? We always sing. In the Old Testament, we hear about the Lord of hosts and the the multitude of the hosts shows up. But a host is is a word that means army. Specifically, it's used to describe a heavenly army. So why on earth in this peaceful manger scene is an army showing up at the birth of our Savior? As you imagine the nativity, I want you to imagine these angelic soldiers showing up, clad for battle, spears in their hands, swords and shields, because they are prepared to fight the dragon. They didn't come just to sing a couple of songs. They came to the shepherds to recruit them for battle. And so as all of that's going on in this peaceful, quiet night, I want you to imagine this heavenly war that is going on. And I want us to turn to Revelation chapter 12. And let's look a little bit at what was going on in the heavenly realms while everyone else on earth was quietly asleep. This is, the, this is John. He's, he's getting this vision in Revelation chapter 12. And chapter 12 verse 1 says... Then a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and screaming in labor, struggling to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, a huge red dragon that had seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven diadem crowns. Now the dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. Here's the hard part about reading the book of Revelation is that a lot of the symbols that we read in the book of Revelation often play double duty or triple duty with what they're bringing to mind for you. More often than not, in the book of Revelation rather than pointing forward at things that we might see in the news, they're actually pointing us back to the Bible. So this woman, this woman who's giving life, facing off against the dragon, against the serpent, immediately calls us back to the scene in the garden. The same battle that started the war to begin with, there was a woman named Life and a serpent, and the serpent overcame her. And so as we're reading, we might be thinking to ourselves, is this a new Eve? Is this going to be the same thing that happened the last time? But also the language that's used, the, the 12 stars and the sun and the moon that's describing this woman, is also a direct callback to Genesis chapter 37. When, when Joseph has his visions before his brothers cast him into Egypt, he says, I saw a vision of the, the sun and the moon and the stars, the 11 stars bowing down to me. And so this woman is also used as a stand-in to symbolize the nation of Israel. The mother who brought forth the twelve tribes who were called upon to bring the light and goodness into the world and defeat the serpent. And so this this dragon is displaying his might and his power over this woman. And obviously the woman crying out in pain about to give birth calls us to marry the one giving birth in Bethlehem. And thus far as we've been reading the Bible every single descendant of life and humanity has been unable to defeat the dragon. But verse 5 says so the woman gave birth to a son a male child who was going to rule over all the nations with an iron rod Her child was suddenly caught up to God and to his throne and she fled into the wilderness to a place that had been prepared for her by God so she could be taken care of for 1260 days. And there's hope in this scripture. This time's going to be different. See, All the while, unbeknownst to the dragon who had been lurking, devouring every single descendant of life and humanity one after another, and he faces off against this woman about to give birth, and he thinks to himself, this one's going to be no different than all the rest. Unbeknownst to him, God had initiated a rescue mission, a mission to go deep behind enemy lines and save those who had been ruled over by death and chaos and to defeat the serpent when life and humanity were unable to do so. Operation Restoration had begun. In verse 7, it says that a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but the dragon was not strong enough to prevail. So there was no longer any place in heaven for him and his angels. So that huge dragon, the ancient serpent, the one called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, was thrown down to the earth and his angels along with him. So as we're imagining this battle scene going on between the forces of good and the forces of evil, you have to imagine the serpent has now come down to earth to fight on our ground and to wreak havoc on the earth. Verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the ruling authority of his Christ have now come because our accuser, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them both day and night before our God has been thrown down. And at this point, It seems like the problem of sin and death hasn't been defeated. It's just been rerouted to the earth. But then look at what verse 11 says. But they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Imagine all of this is happening as Jesus is laying in the manger, as the shepherds are adoring him. This is the battle that's going on. And from the point of view of the armies of heaven, from God's perspective, the God who's outside of space and time, the battle was already over before it had even begun. They didn't say he will overcome them. They didn't say he will be thrown down. By the time Christ entered into the world, the angels were rejoicing because he has already been overcome. Because when God steps in to finish a battle that we couldn't fight, he wins every single time. And the entire rest of the book of Revelation is just a description of the spiritual battle that's happening. The epic war that is going on. The serpent recruits other beasts to do his bidding. He does the thing where he's always done, where he recruits soldiers to be on his side, only then to subject them to pain and death and the chaos that he's so familiar with. All the way until we get to chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 11, and I'm just going to rattle these off. I'm going to kind of skip a couple because I want you to really picture the battle (coughs) and how this is happening. Verse 11. Then, John says, I saw heaven opened, and here came a white horse. The one riding it was called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and goes to war. His eyes are like fiery flames, and there are many diadem crowns on his head's. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. He is dressed in clothing dipped in blood, and he is called the Word of God. The armies that are in heaven, dressed in white, clean, fine linen, were following him on white Horses. The cavalry has arrived and the devil is about to be done. Verse 19 says, Then I saw the beast. This is the beast that the serpent had recruited. The beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to do battle with the one who rode the horse with his army. Now the beast was seized, and along with him the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf, signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire, burning with sulfur. Chapter 20, verse 1, he says, Then I saw an angel descending from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the abyss and a huge chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and tied him up for a thousand years. And then verse 7, says, Now, When the thousand years are finished, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to bring them together for the battle. They are as numerous as the grains of the sand in the sea. They went up on the broad plain of the earth and encircled the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them completely. And the devil that serpent who all along had been sowing chaos into the world, the dragon who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are too and they will be tormented there day and night forever. It's a little bit different than the silent night, holy night manger scene that you usually imagine, isn't it? And look, I know for a lot of us this time of year, is not always a joyous occasion. Not true for all of us, but for some of us, this this time of year might bring up more hurt than it does joy. Hurt from missing loved ones who won't be here this Christmas. Hurt from people that we've hurt and the sin that's in our lives. Disease, addiction, death, chaos, all of these things that the serpent interjects into the world and it can make this season feel a little bit difficult. But I need you to know that what you are experiencing when you experience that pain is the serpent trying to drag you back away from Christ trying to get you to give up, trying to get you to side with him against God. But I also need you to know that I've read the end of the book and I know how it ends. Chaos and death is defeated once and for all. And life and humanity reigns again with God in the heavenly city. On that night in Bethlehem as our Lord was lying in the manger with the shepherds gathering around him and the the angels rejoicing in heaven because they knew that from this point on the battle had already been won before it had even begun. The dragon is slain. Will you pray with me? Father, Father, We're so grateful for your rescue mission. It's probably not one we would have come up with on our own, Father, to send an infant into the world. But you know what you're doing. Where we fell short, where we failed to slay the dragon, your son did once and for all. And we're so grateful for that. We're. We can't praise you enough, we can't worship you enough to tell you just how grateful you are. we are for you that the dragon has been slain. And it's in your son's precious name that we pray. And the church said,